Hello Bulls fans and welcome to another episode of Bulls HQ. Thank you for joining me and hope you're all doing well out there in Bulls Nation. If you follow me on Twitter, you may have noticed that I've been a little grumpy this week online. As you know, I'm trying hard to be more positive this season, but this week has made it kind of difficult for me. So firstly, the Bulls were warned for how they've gone about resting Robin Lopez and Justin Holiday. And naturally, I found myself on the opposing view of most Bulls fans on this issue, making me think I'm slightly insane and on island. And if that wasn't enough, the Bulls go on and beat two of their tank rivals this week, beating the Memphis Grizzlies and the Atlanta Hawks, ultimately putting a nail into any lasting hope of having a good enough odds to land a top five pick. So I've been mad this week, and when I'm mad, I want to argue. And who better to get into an argument with than the man whose views oppose mine virtually on all occasions. I'm of course talking about Fred Pfeiffer, host of the Chicago Bullseye and Big Red Bus podcast. Fred, how are you doing? Oh, I'm doing great. It's great to talk with you, Mark. It's always fun to bring a, a shining light of hope to the Bulls HQ. It's great to be here. I, I also sense that you were probably upset that your beloved T-Wolves took a dump for three games, uh, just looking awful. And in, in the big picture, they've looked terrible for about a, a month now. They haven't they hadn't beat a winning team until today, unfortunately, uh, since I think the, the 3rd or 2nd of February. Uh, with some unimpressive victories over the Kings, the Lakers, the Bulls, and then three in a row against, you know, decent teams, Utah, Boston. Um, and I can't remember who the other team was that they lost to, but they did scratch out a win today with the great Carl Anthony Towns. So at least that's got to have you feel a little bit better. It does make me feel good. And look, when you're losing a player like Jimmy Butler and he's out for a while because of a knee injury, typically you're going to rack up some losses for their Fred. So I'm not too sure they were unexpected, but... At the same time, what's given me some life right now at the end of this week, having gone through the week that I've gone through with the Bulls, is the fact that the Timberwolves picked up win number 39, which is exactly the amount of wins you predicted they would win this season. They've already done it now without Butler beating the Golden State Warriors, which was, for me, very, very good feeling. It was a great feeling. So I appreciate that, Fred. Well, it's still possible they could lose every game for the rest of the season. <laughs> I wouldn't get too excited yet. I but, mean, uh, theoretically, it's possible, know, yeah. The way I look at it is last year we had some heated debates. And at that time, you said for sure they were going to win 36. They won 31. So I think I'm going to re, you know, kind of rejudge the season based on you know your five-game loss last year. They got to beat 44 wins then, 39 plus five, and then I'll have respect for you. That, you know, you don't get to revise your your uh, <laughs> your prediction. I didn't revise mine down, so you don't get to revise yours. You said thirty nine; they're going to beat it, and you're going to live with it. And I'm going to make oh, sure to to make sure to tweet that out once they do get to win number forty that you were wrong. I I was just laughing so hard during that three game losing streak because I knew I knew when they, they were stuck on thirty eight that you were just waiting. For I was them itching. Trying to, to fire off that tweet, it was so funny. I get to see you in your apartment. You had the tweet all waiting for. Uh, I can't wait till they went 39 and they lost three in a row. And I laughed every game they lost. But, hey, it, hats off to Towns. I mean, I, 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 I think Towns, in reality, I think Towns is, to me, the most underutilized talent in the NBA. I think he's a fantastic player. I think he's a top five player talent-wise. And it just enrages me every time I watch a T-Wolves game. And I see how they use him. I don't think there's a player in the NBA who could stop him in the post. He needs to be double teamed every time he gets the ball in the post. And they don't use him nearly enough in the post. It's, uh, it's appalling to me. 
he's kind of, you know, he's got a good three-point shot now, right? So he's developed that, and they bring him out outside there. But I I just, I don't understand. Today, he just embarrassed Draymond Green all up and down the court. It was, it was a, anytime he threw it in the post, nobody could stop him. So uh, he's one guy I do like on that team, obviously, and Taj, and uh, also Jimmy. But, you know, we'll see what happens. I, I'm certain they're they're on course for a very disappointing First round exit, you may differ, but I'm sure it's it's, it's on its way. Uh, they might be, they might be, but like I said, once your best player goes down with a knee injury, and if he does return for the playoffs, he's probably not going to be at his best. So, you know, that may happen, but we'll, we we shall see, Fred. But let, let's talk Bulls. Enough of these Timberwolves. I've had my fun with that, but let's let's talk Bulls. And and the first thing I wanted to talk to you about, and this is probably the one where we're going to have the most disagreement about, and we've definitely been dueling about it on Twitter. I want to talk to you about the the NBA, I guess, warning the Chicago Bulls for resting healthy players. So my first initial question to you, Fred, is why were you so mad about this, given that the bat, given that the Bulls weren't fined at all, they didn't lose any picks, there was no repercussions from that apart from getting a, a phone call and a message from the NBA saying, maybe start playing those players that you need to play, who are actually capable of playing games. Well, that, that's why I'm mad about it. There were ramifications. Lopez is playing 12 minutes. And in, in those 12 minutes, he made plays that could have decided on the future of the Chicago Bulls. Number one, the, the NBA last year only cared. They didn't care about what the Suns and the Lakers were doing to blow games at the end of the season. They were very concerned about what the Spurs and, and the Warriors were doing and sitting all-star players in premier matchups. That was their number one priority, their number one concern. So to kind of revise it and act like, oh, no, no, they were really concerned about the Suns, they would have done something at the time. So they came up with this cockamamie rule, you know, and I understand, you know, that they're trying to address what the Suns and and the smart teams, uh, like the Golden State Warriors were doing and sitting their their players. Obviously, you don't got to worry about the Timberwolves doing that, but other teams you do. And so they tried to address that and by, by coming up with this rule. And the Bulls were more than honest about everything. They did, they did the right thing in asking Lopez and Holiday how they wanted to respond. Their whole plan was to play their players. Everybody knows their situation. We're rebuilding. There's nothing wrong with playing Felicio, who we signed to a four-year deal, and sitting other guys. It's outrageous that the NBA felt the need to call in and warn us, and it's ridiculous. And not only that, you're encouraging – all you're doing by that action is encouraging dishonest behavior with trainers, coming up with fake injuries, coming up with with um, lying to the public, which has serious ramifications on betting lines in Vegas. It's, it's, it's outrageous that the team that tried to do things honestly – the Chicago Bulls is the only team that gets warned. Screw the NBA. Screw their idiot commissioner for <laughs> jumping in, for having the gall and the temerity to criticize us and to warn us. Are you serious? Like, I could not even believe it. And I, I'm, I'm so outraged by it. And I don't understand, well, like, the, the reflex action is the Bulls did something wrong. What exactly explained to me that the Bulls did wrong? Well, I mean, you, you summed it up. You already you you stated it in your remark there that the the NBA implemented a new rule that wasn't in place last season when a team like the Suns were 
brazenly tanking. So I don't know why we even bring up that as an example, given that the rule wasn't in place at that point. But you made note of that. So that's the exact reason as to why the Bulls were given a call. That's why they were warned, because they publicly came out and admitted that they were resting healthy players. Now, like it or not, and it's crappy that this is the way the NBA runs, but they pretty much are happy with teams tanking so long as they don't admit to their tanking or give inferences to the point that they're tanking. We obviously saw what they did with Mark Cuban when he admitted that they were tanking. And the Bulls didn't go out and say as much. They didn't admit to tanking as such. But they did say they were going to be resting healthy players, which was against the rules of this new rule that they've initiated, which you mentioned yourself. So it seems like you've got all the facts correct. You know what the facts are. But for whatever reason, you're ignoring that point. And that's the part I don't get, I guess. And that's why I feel like I'm on an island. Here's the other fact. They checked with the league. The league gave their approval on it. They also checked with Lopez. Lopez, they, they're not forced to play Lopez. As long as he's dressed, he could, he could still sit on the bench the whole game. He chose not to dress. They went to Lopez and asked him, listen, we're going to play Felicio. That's entirely under the Bulls' jurisdiction. They can decide if they want to play Felicio 48 minutes and sit Lopez. He's not. It, it's, a, it's a matter of their future. He signed to a four-year agreement. I just think it's so outrageous for a league to get into the situation. They should have said, they they should have just basically said, um, I, I think I would have done it without going public about a warning. I think I would have like called them and, and, and said, how is it like any really different than what Atlanta did today by sitting their best player? He Everybody knows he's not injured. They lied about an injury. To me, that's, all this situation is going to create is greater likelihood that teams are going to lie about injuries which is a very serious problem in the bigger picture. It's much more of a serious problem. You'd much rather have teams do what the Bulls did than what Atlanta did today. I mean, fundamentally, I agree with you. But at the same time, you almost have to, you, you have to abide by the rules of the game in the sense of, I'm not talking about the rules here of, of resting players, but I'm, I'm talking here about the rules of how the NBA approach this tanking issue. And like, and like I said before, if you make it apparent that you are putting in things in place where you're actively trying to lose, like the Bulls did make clear, then you're going to have a problem from the league office. But if the Bulls understood and read the game itself, and we can sort of have that side debate as to whether this game of lying and cheating and all this sort of thing is healthy or not, I think that's a separate conversation. But it is what it is, and the Bulls should have noticed that. And and other teams clearly have, and, and they've been more coy in how they've gone about uh handling their tanking scenario but that's my next question to you like why is this just on the nba do you not blame paxton and the bulls at all for being too transparent i I understand this i guess at at some point we we have to give the bulls some credit there for being transparent and honest to their fan base but is this the right moment right now knowing how the nba reacts to tanking and and i guess the admittance to tanking, do you not put any blame at all to Paxson and the Bulls as to how they've handled this, this, this situation at all? Don't no. you think they could have been smarter about it? And, and, and your definition of being smarter is having a player lie about an injury. And my answer to that is that creates a serious issue with a player. And, and, and the honesty and the integrity of the front office with that player. You're, you're forcing a player to lie about an injury. Atlanta sat Dennis Schroeder today. Now, maybe Dennis Schroeder didn't care that he's sitting. But if you force another player, maybe Lopez does care. Maybe Lopez isn't going to tell the world, no, I'm not hurt. 
I'm not going to lie for you. That causes a lot more major issues in the long run, I think, than what the Bulls try to do, to be upfront and honest that, yes, they don't have an injury. And, and what you're encouraging them to do is to lie about the health status of a player. I think that's wrong. If I was the agent, I'd be very upset. If I had Dennis Stroder's agent, not every, you know, he lost an opportunity today to, put, to put, go out and perform and possibly put up a nice game against a, a bad team and increase his money in the long run. I think there's going to be major issues with that. And like, I, I think this has to be solved some way, but I think bigger picture for the Bulls, it's better to be honest than to lie about an injury. I think lying about an injury opens up a whole can of worms that even us, we couldn't have foreseen. But, you know, think about it. Is that really right? It, 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 you kind of affect the player's um, his value if he's missing games due in, to an injury. And, and you're just what are you going to tell the tell the whole world that he really wasn't injured? I mean, I don't know. I, I I think it's a it's a really difficult situation to put your players in if you start going down that road. And that's what you're advocating, isn't it? Isn't that what you're saying? I hear you to a degree. I'm not necessarily saying that players have to lie, but what I'm saying is that the Bulls didn't necessarily have to go to the extreme that they went to. They could have done exactly what they did today against the Atlanta Hawks in playing Lopez less minutes, maybe maybe starting him and boganizing him like they did today where they gave him pretty much the first 12 minutes of the game and then took him out for the rest of the game. Maybe they could have started him, played him in the first and third quarter, given him a total of 15, 18 minutes and then put Felicio in for the rest of the game. They could have done other measures than just saying, no, Robin, you're not playing at all. You're sitting on the bench. You're dressing in street clothes. And that's what I'm referring to about being smarter. It doesn't necessarily just being... Uh, it doesn't necessarily mean just being, I guess, more coy about it and, and being shady about it. They could have still played Lopez or Holiday or switched between the two and just been or managing this scenario a lot better through rotations rather than necessarily being, I guess, transparent about, yes, we're resting healthy players. Don't, don't you think the they could have done that? From the player's perspective and the agent's perspective, they did the right thing before the NBA got involved. They asked, they went to Lopez, they went to Holiday. How do you want to handle this? Because here's what we're going to do. Here's your choice. You can choose not to dress. You can choose to dress. They gave him that option. And I think that the player respected that and the agent respected that. And in choosing to not dress, Lopez added to the value in big picture. I mean, anybody who saw that he, when he wasn't playing, how much worse the Bulls were, yeah, he clearly had a positive effect on the team and him choosing not to dress and not play even sent more of that message, I think, as opposed to, you know, if they would have forced him to dress and not play, I think it would have had a, even more of a negative effect on the player. I, 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 I like that they went to the player. I think that was the right move. And so, you know, I understand what you're saying, too. Believe me here, I, I'm frustrated that Lopez played 12 minutes today. I mean, he had positive impact on the game. There's no doubt early in that game, the game the Bulls could have been down by probably 20 if he wasn't out there and Felicia was around, you know, flailing block attempts and sucking. So, you know, there's no doubt that it kind of sucks. But, you know, there's so many people just willing to jump on the front office. I don't know what else they should do. Like, all their big three played 30 minutes or less today, and they still won. You know, it's like, it's... From Fred's perspective, he's I think he's doing the right thing too. He's limiting the these guys. They're not playing major minutes. It's not like Towns and Wiggins who were playing 41 minutes a game in the last 10 games last season. You know, they're playing under 30 minutes. They're still winning. 
you know, they're just too talented of a team with their young players. So I, I, I took that attitude like I'm not going to lose sleep if we end up at 8, 9, or 10 because these young guys are winning games. So um, and I, I am disappointed, I will admit, that, you know, we haven't actively tried to tank by having Payne and Felicio close. But that said, Payne's played well. He had 17 points the other night. He had a good game today. He had a positive impact on the games. You know, what are you going to do? You can't force these guys to, to suck, you know? No, look, I, I agree. You can't force them to suck, and players will never tank. But that's that was the next thing I wanted to talk to you about is is the tanking, just, just the general tanking concept and, and the fact that the, now that the Bulls have beaten the Atlanta Hawks, they had a win against the Memphis Grizzlies earlier in the week, the tank pretty much is over. And when you look at the tank standings at the moment, the Bulls have only got a half-game lead on the New York Knicks for that eighth position. The Knicks have lost seven in a row. The Bulls, obviously, they beat the Hawks today, but they, they will probably get some more wins as the season progresses. So it's quite possible here that the Bulls fall to ninth in the tank standings, meaning the chances of them really getting to that top five in terms of having a, a record worse enough to be in there is probably over. So the tank is by and large dead unless something happens in the lottery where they can bounce up towards the top of the draft. So let, let, let's talk about that concept and and the fact I don't that, agree with that, though. I don't agree with the, the you tank. You don't think the dead. tank's dead? Well, the Brooklyn Nets are two games behind them. Brooklyn Nets have zero incentive to lose. It's like I, I I still feel at some point the Brooklyn Nets are going to win some of these games and hopefully pass the Chicago Bulls. I mean, they have zero incentive to suck. They want to win as many games as possible. So I don't feel like the Bulls are stuck at nine. And and I, I still feel like, you know, Lando's going to play some of these teams too. I, I do agree with you. Yeah, it doesn't look good. But I'm not ready to say like the Bulls are definitely – they're not that far away. Their record right now is, what is it, uh, 23 and 43, right? Yeah. The Orlando Magic is, are 20. The, the worst two teams in the conference are Orlando and Atlanta with 20 wins. So they're essentially like three and a half or three games ahead of those teams. And, and you know, Orlando in their, in their division in their last 10, they're 2 and 8. The Hawks are 2 and 8. The Bulls are 3 and 7. The Nets are 2 and 8. The Nets are a team that's got to pass them. Um, and, and then you look in the other conference, the Kings have 21 wins, and the Mavericks have 21. Both those two teams, I still think, can win you know, some games here to close out. Uh, those teams are 3-7. and seven. They both, in their last 10, they have the exact same record as the Bulls. So the Mavericks have actually won two in a row. I don't think it's impossible to see the Kings, the Mavericks, not likely, but definitely the Nets. I think those three teams are still in play. I think the Bulls could finish, you know, sixth or fifth. Um, I think it's going to be hard to catch, you know, obviously Phoenix, who just sucks, and the, and the Grizzlies. But you're right. I, 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 don't, I don't agree that we're stuck at night. I, I, I don't buy that. Oh, well, typically we disagree on that point. But um, what, what I wanted to ask you was, do you think, and you alluded to this before, do you think the Bulls have done all they can to ensure that they get towards that top end of the draft? Has Have they tanked properly? Have they done everything they could to make sure that they get themselves a top pick in this draft? Well, no, of course not. They haven't. I mean, no doubt about that. They kept Nico Miritich on the team for a long time, and, and they refused to trade him for you know next to nothing. And I think I agreed with that decision. I, I'm still shocked that the, that the Pelicans have 
played this well, and it's a testament to the greatness of Anthony Davis, who's just played out of his mind since the injury uh, to Boogie. You know, I, I felt that pick would have been a t- in the teens, and I would rather have a 9 and a 16 in this draft than just a 3. And, you know, it's kind of backfired because the Pelicans have played so well. There's still a lot of basketball left. I mean, they still can fall, believe it or not, out of the playoffs. Highly unlikely, unless something happens to Davis. He he had he did miss the last game due to injury, and they got blown out. But, um, you know, the, Nico played well while he was here, and we won a lot of games. And it wasn't just Nico. It was also, you know, um, Port is playing well, Nwaba coming back, Dunn's gaining the starting sl- slot. The Bulls are just too talented not to, uh, you know, to be as bad as everybody wanted them to be. When they were 3-20, and 20, you know, they didn't have other pieces in place. Um, uh, obviously, Levine still hadn't come back. They, they have far too much talent to be one of the worst teams in the league. So I, didn't, I never expected them before the season. I said they would win 26 games. There's a good chance that's exactly where they're going to end up. That's where I expected them to end up. And, you know, we, Doug and I have kind of talked about this. Would you rather have the team be 15 wins and, and be a top five, have a top five pick and have all these three, the core three guys suck? Or would you rather have them play well, win 26 to 30, have a little bit later pick, but at least say, you know what, I could see these three guys being good. I'm much more bullish on the big three. You know, like I said this and people were laughing at me, but I think it's entirely possible that Laurie Markkinen is better than any guy any guy in the top 10 who's drafted this year in 2018 in this upcoming draft. I think it's possible. I think he'll have a better career than Nathan. I think he'll have a better career than Doncic. I think he'll be better than any of them. So save that point because I want to address that point with you. But I, I definitely want to talk about that because that's, that's again, another sure. contentious issue between me and you. But, but coming back to your other point about what would you rather have? Would you rather have that top three pick and then the core three being bad players? Or would you rather have what we have now where they're looking good, they're trending upwards, and you're going to have the ninth pick or whatever it might be? My instant rebuttal to that is why can't you have both, Fred? And I think the Bulls could have both if they've managed their rotations slightly differently. Do you disagree with that? Well, how, how though? Explain to me how manage their rotations in what way. You want to see the young guys play together. Yeah. You wanted, you wanted to see marketing start. I mean, there's no doubt if, if we would have gone in the season and, and Nico Miritich didn't get punched out, there's no way we would have been in the situation where we're at now. We're still in the top 10. The Bulls would have been a playoff team. There's no doubt about it. You know, I mean, like, it, it, everything worked out, I think, personally, almost as good as it possibly could have. Nico played well enough that we were able to get number one pick for him. Uh, they're still a lottery team. They're still probably going to pick in top 10. And we, we were able to garner another number one pick that maybe we can use the package to move up a few slots. I don't know. You know, I think it's unlikely. But I, I don't think the season could have worked out any better. Portis played a lot better than we expected. Almost every guy in the team out outperformed their expectations. Like, for the future of the team, how could you not say that you feel better about them, uh, you know, every guy in the team this year than they, before last year? They all performed much better than we expected. Dunn was significantly better than expected. I guess the only exception would be Levine, right? He He hasn't really played better than I expected. But, you know, he's still obviously got a great future. I I mean, everything comes down to 
how good you think those guys are in the next draft. And, you know, I said this before, and I agree with it now, like Mo Bamba. If you had to pick Mo Bamba or Laurie Markkinen, who would you rather have? Uh, they don't have to make that decision is my point, Fred. Like, I agree with everything you said there in the sense that players have exceeded expectations, and I'm more than happy to ad- admit to that. Larry Markkinen has been better than what I thought he would have been. Chris Dunn has salvaged his career from being a potential bust to looking like a capable NBA point guard. Zach Levine has had his moments. He's definitely uh, had, well, hasn't had his moments as well, given that he's re- returning from a pretty significant knee injury. Guys like Portis and Valentine, who I haven't been high on before, they've had really good seasons. So you can, I can admit to that. But at the same time, I can also point to the Dallas Mavericks game where the, the Bulls were closing with their best lineup when the Mavericks were running junk lineups that were destined to fail. And the Bulls got that win. And I look at that game and the closing of that game and I wonder how would that be a little bit differently if the Bulls managed that rotation a little bit slightly at the end where they still got maybe 28, 29 minutes into their core three players, still had enough time for them to gel as a core together. But at the last maybe four to five minutes of that game, maybe take one or two of them out of the game. That way you can massage the rotation into getting a nice loss. And that way you can have the best of both worlds. So I agree with what you're saying, but at the same time, I can't help but think if things were done slightly differently, that they could be having the best of both worlds, but they're not. Do you disagree? Well, you're, you're arguing about Fred, Fred's rotations at the end of the game. And who did he have in there at the end of the Dallas game? He had the core three players out there with Bobby there Portis. And I can't remember if it was Valentine or Nwaba, but he was playing his best lineup that he had available. And I, that, to me, doesn't make no, sense. No, that's not true. If Lopez was out there, he and Holiday would have both been out there. Yeah, that's why I said if he had or whoever he had available. Now... If, if, if he he could have played Felicio in those dying minutes. He could have played Jerry Grant at small forward. I don't know. He could have done several other things that where you don't have winning players on the court in that situation while still giving minutes to guys like Larry, Dunn, and Levine earlier in the game for them to develop as a unit. So that's what I'm talking about, that the fact that the Bulls haven't necessarily done everything that they could. Those three guys need to develop at the end of games too. They, they do. They need to have time together. To in games that are going to be decided to learn and get better, they're 20, 23, and twenty, you know, two years old. I, I I just feel like again, it comes back to Pax should have done what what I I don't like. He should have demanded that Felicio and Payne finish those games. I don't think that's a good move. I don't think that's good for Lori Markinen's future. I don't think that's good for Donner Levine's. Levine's in a contract here. You think his agent would be happy if freaking Payne was finishing games ahead of him? I mean, it's like, I, I don't think you can put that on the GM. You could go back to preseason and put it on the GM that this team was not bad enough to fully tank. But again, I'd say, well, what are you going to do? You just let guys like, uh, you know, um, for Nico walk for nothing after everything you've put into it? Portis was a lot better than we all expected. I mean, honestly, before the season, did you have a problem with what he did? His moves that he did? Did you feel like he should have set up set us up to tank more? And if so, how? Why? What would he, what did you, what should they have done? No, I, I mean I'm happy to admit that I wanted them to keep Miritich because I thought it would have been a bad bad move to let a good player like him. I'm obviously very high on Nikola Miritich. I thought it would have been a bad move to just let him walk and not get anything. And when they got him for a first round pick, or when they traded him for a first round pick, I praised the front office for that move. So I'm, I'm happy to admit when I think they do something right. 
But at this specific issue, I think they could have had the best of both worlds in the sense, like I said, where they could have been developing their guys, but at the same time, massaging their units towards the end of the games against teams like Dallas, who are, uh, who are rivals to them in the tanking race. And they could have just done things differently against a better team where they're maybe not going to get the win, but they're in, in the game itself. Maybe you keep the core three unit on the floor together in that situation. That win against the Minnesota Timberwolves where Zach Levine went crazy against Jimmy Butler, you can live yes. with that type of win because that's against, that's against a good team where those three players, or at least a few of them, were playing quite well. You can, you can deal with those types of wins because their progression or their, their players progressing the way you want to see it. But in... When you're playing against a team like the Mavericks and those players aren't necessarily having the best games themselves and you eke over the line because you're actually playing a unit that makes cohesive sense whilst the Mavericks aren't, it just screams to me like other teams are trying to do more in terms of securing the best possible outcome they can for their franchise moving forward. Yeah, yeah I, That's I, just how I, I feel about it. Dennis Smith Jr. was out on the court to finish that game, right? I, I don't I remember so. who the Mavs were on the court, but they were playing funky defensive lineups that had no chance of stopping the Bulls at all. I, like, I think it looked that way because Dallas sucks. And I think they had Dennis <laughs> Mitchell out there. They're a terrible team. They're worse than the Bulls, and Bulls won. I, I expected them. To, the, Atlanta is worse than the Bulls. The Bulls won. It's like even they're trying. I, I even think you know Payne played so – I thought pretty well today. And it's like he had meaningful minutes, and they limited – they limited their big three to less than 30 minutes. It's like, I think they're trying to lose and it, they're just too good. And it, it, everything looked to me like another point I'd like to make is, you know, Nico, you couldn't have garnered a first round pick for Nico if he didn't have that great period where they won those games in a row. And it would have been perfect. Like people are like, they should train him before. You couldn't have got a first round pick for him until Boogie went down. And so it took that event in order to finally get the first round pick for Nico, and it would have been perfect, but I'm just shocked at how good Davis has played to save that team. And you know, I think he's he should have MVP. I'm I, it, he should be in the conversation without a doubt for his performance over the past month. It's been incredible. So it hasn't worked out perfectly, but I don't think it's worked out bad. Like I think if the Bulls finish with the seven, eighth, or ninth pick. I'll be happy if they somehow fall even further to outside the top 10, I will be extremely disappointed, but I do feel there will be a very good player available at seven, eight or nine. And I also hope that the Pelicans start losing more because that's to me, the bigger loss is, is just how good they've played lately. I, I, I still can't believe it. Um, and, and that pick falling further, further down, is, uh, you know, I really expected them to get a decent player there. And I think that's far less likely now. Yeah, that's, that's definitely been a disappointment. The Pelicans have been, they've been amazing. And, and th- look, Fred, maybe Nikola Mirotic is just a winning player. He he made the Bulls very good. <laughs> they, were, they were playing so damn well when he was here and he was an all-star. They ship him off to the New Orleans Pelicans and straight away they're going on eight, uh, an eight-game consecutive winning streak. So... Maybe he's just really good, Fred. Maybe he's just really good. But I don't think it's that. I mean, how many games <laughs> did they win where he shot 29%? You know, it, it, I, I think Nico's looked very similar to last year's Nico. I mean, I got he's had some really solid games. I'm not going to act like he's, he's – to me, he's been Nico, inconsistent. He's had a couple good games, a couple bad ones. They've played great because of Anthony Davis. I mean, he is so 
freaking good. I paid attention to them. I paid attention to the Timberwolves strictly for arguments with you. And I know what's going on there. And also, uh, Holiday's played very well for that. Very, very well underrated uh, player. But, um, yeah, it just hurts. It hurts because that team was very close to falling out of the playoffs and getting another lottery pick. To me, it would have been worth it for, you know, to fall a few slots to get another lottery pick. Yeah, but look, there's still some games remaining. Hopefully they can slide a little bit here, but we shall right. see. Well, let's move on to another topic, Dan. And, and this one I think is probably, probably, you know, a really topic, an important topic rather going forward. And, and I want to talk about the, de- the, uh, the development of Lowry, Dunn and Levine as a core three unit. And I want to get your takes on what you've seen from this combination thus far. And, and do you think that we've had a substantial amount of time at this point to make an accurate judgment of what they are and, and what they can be? Uh, well, no, I think it's far too early. Um, you know, and I don't want to make a big deal about it, but I have been, and I keep on coming back to that, right? I, I am very concerned about Levine's fit here because I don't think they played well together at all. I think the best they looked together, um, you know, Dunn and Markinen, I think had it going pretty well for a period there earlier in the, in the year. And since Levine's come back, I they've played, you know, I think all three of them poorly. I don't think they've really put it together as a, as a unit. And, you know, I keep on telling myself it's still early. There's still a lot of time left, but you know, it's, it's a balance, right? You still gotta, you're still trying to tank. You're still trying to lose games, limit their minutes, but you do want to see them play better together because that is the core. Uh, but I, I've been really disappointed in Levine. I, I, I thought I expected him. The one thing I felt better about is that he does look athletic and he does look, he's like, he has all that hop and all that jump. His shot selection has been terrible. Um, I know he's probably frustrated. He's got a lot of things going on where he's playing for a contract. He's got two of his better players now off the team and Lopez and Holiday, who I think help him. Their presence out there definitely helps him. And, and you know, now that he's gone. But, you know, my biggest worry is I don't think Larry's played well with Levine. And, and, and I think, and I've said this before in other casts, I think marketing has top 10 talent. I know I'm alone on an island here that I think he has the ability to be you know, Dirk Nowitzki light to be very good, to be a top 10 player in the NBA. I don't think Levine or Dunn have that, have that ability. I think they're top 25, but I don't think they're top 10. Markkanen has that. And if you can't fit well with Markkanen and you can't play well together, then it's not going to work. I mean, you're going to have to find another answer. I, I don't like the way – I think it's, it should have been pretty simple. It's like pick and roll with Larry Markkanen if they switch – you get the ball and marking it in the post. If they if if the big stays with them, then you got a lane, you know, you you drive hard. I mean, it's it shouldn't be that difficult. And for whatever reason, maybe part of this is on Fred. They haven't meshed well together. They haven't played well together. I'm sure a lot of it has to do with limited practice time and limited time to get on the court. But I'd like to see him kind of figure it out before the year's out. I mean, you disagree? No, look, I agree, and I was going to point to a play that I noticed today against the against the Hawks, where the Bulls pretty much ran a post up for Larry Markin, and he had the ball on the block. He wasn't really going anywhere with it, but he he took he put the ball back out on the perimeter to Zach Levine, and he reposted and and, and established himself some a better position. And in that case, he would have liked to have seen Zach Levine repost Larry Markin in that situation, yes. getting the ball down in the block and. You know, Lowry hasn't been that great in the post, but he needs to get better in there. And the only way he's going to get better there is if you give him the ball. But what Levine did was he ended up jacking up a contested three-point shot. So that speaks to exactly what you're saying. So the next question I want to ask you, Fred, is 
Do you think this is Levine just purely being selfish and positioning himself as the alpha of the team? Or do you also think Lowry Markkinen has been a little bit too passive here? And, and do you think the coaching staff and the perimeter guys need to do more to, to feature him in the offense? Well, I think Lowry's in a, in a very difficult position because he's 20 years old. And he yeah. hasn't played. And he's a rookie. And to expect a rookie to start demanding the ball is, is absolutely ridiculous. That's not... In, in anyone's uh, place, you know, especially when you have a guy like Levine who's clearly established himself, who's had, he's proven it in the NBA, who's won a slam dunk title, who's got cred, and he had a great year last year. And then to expect Markin and just go in there and just start telling him what to do, it's it's just not realistic. Um, I expect Markin as he gets older to start demanding that. That's why I think he's got a bigger, such a great future. You know, there's a couple of things about marketing people forget. Number one, he, he play, almost hasn't had a break for like a year, right? I mean, he played all of the European uh, championships and goes right to camp. I mean, he played summer league. So I can tell he's getting tired. I think that has something to do with it. He just had a kid. As someone who has two kids, I know how difficult that is, especially at this time. You know, there's a lot going on with his life, so I'm not as nearly concerned about it. I think you're right. I think Levine's being a little bit selfish. I understand it. He's playing for a major contract. I mean, he's playing for 80 to $100 million. And he does not, or his agent does not want to go and, and you know, have the Bulls lowball them and force him into a one-year, you know, contract where he's going to, the qualifying offer where he's going to have to play all next year and hope he doesn't get injured. I know he doesn't want to do that. And he wants to prove that he's the guy. And so I, I understand what he's trying to do, but, you know, for the future of the Bulls, at some point, I think Laurie's got to be the alpha. And I disagree with you guys that, you know, he needs to be. I, I don't agree with that. I think he's been a lot better in the post. I think the only problem with this team is they don't have enough guys that know how to truly post pass. They got uh, Valentine who could do it, but their their point guards are terrible at it. Even Dunn is not great at it and grants an embarrassment. So, you know, like one play today, another one that came to mind, not that you brought it up, though, it's not just Laurie and, and, and Levine. It's Dunn and Levine. They look terrible together. Like, it was a play today where it's basically, um, you know, Dunn dribbles the ball off his, you know, he's playing fast and loose with the ball. The ball basically, he almost, you know, dribbled it away. Uh, Levine picked it up, waves off everybody, and just launches a contested three. It was like, what the hell is this? You know, it's not, it's not even, it's almost like a playground atmosphere out there sometimes. It's so frustrating. So, you know, I think part of it's on Fred. I don't, I don't know who it's on, but they, they got to figure it out because those three need to mesh well for this to work. And you kind of just want to see flashes of it. I haven't even seen flashes of it, Mark. I don't know about you if you feel the same way. We saw we saw flashes of it against the against the Grizzlies. I think that was probably one of the games where, if I'm not mistaken, where all three played relatively well. If I, if my memory serves me correct, I think they all played pretty decently that game. I think they all had 20 points in that game. So I think that would be an example of where they've all in the one game shown flashes. And I, granted, the Memphis Grizzlies have lost 17 games in a row, so their defense is quite porous at the moment. So maybe that makes it a little bit easier to score and play well against a bad team like that. But we haven't necessarily seen it against better teams. So what I want to ask you, Fred, is uh, I guess talking about the future of this team and given that you are one of the most positive Bulls fans I know, 
Do you have any concern at all when you're talking about the future potential of this team and thinking that or weighing that against what we've seen from this three-man unit at the moment and, and how that projects to move forward? Do you have any concerns at all that Dunn and Levine or Levine and Market and they just never get it together and they just can't function together as a unit? I do have a little bit of concern about Levine. I'll admit that. I don't. Feel, I think. I think the Bulls are going to be too talented for them not to be good. Like next year, I think they're a playoff team. They'll win between forty-one and forty-five games, and if Levine gets it together, they'll win fifty. And I'm that's with the expectation that if they do end up at eight or nine, they get one of the bridges. Who so I think one of those guys would fit in perfectly at the three spot, and then you have Lopez as your center. And I think that team is darn good. And I think if you could somehow pry Capella away from Houston, you could potentially have the best team in the NBA with five starters, all 24 and under. So I, I, I am still extremely bullish about the future. But the issues are if Levine thinks he's the alpha instead of the B, Scottie Pippen, which I that's what I want to see the Bulls evolve into, a team built around Larry Markkinen with Levine as the B option and Dunn as the defensive stopper with Miles Bridges, hopefully, as another defensive stopper, guy who can hit the three, athletic three, uh, who can also slide between the three and the four, I, or, or Mikel Bridges. I don't care who it is, just one of those good athletic threes with their draft pick. I could see this team winning 50 games. And then in the following year, challenging in the East. I think that team would be that good, that young. Um, it, it's exciting time. I'm still bullish on things. What would screw this up is, Levine being continuing to be selfish, even if he gets his money, demanding he's the alpha because he's got the money, and not you know ceding that position to market it. Uh, so I do get concerned about that. But even if that's a problem, I mean, there's a lot of teams that deal with that. Washington Wizards with Beal and Wall, you see that all the time. Um, you see that in all these really good teams, even the Raptors. You know, is it the Rose and is it Lowry? It's a good problem to have. You'd rather have two guys who think they're alphas. So I, I'm still very bullish on the team, but I do feel for the Bulls to really hit where they, you know, to, to really get to uh, maximize what they got to be. Everybody's got to realize that it's Larry Markin's team. So, and I know I'm, I'm in, in a uh, minority on that. I think most Bulls fans disagree with me. I mean, you heard Doug. Doug clearly doesn't believe in marketing like I do. I just view, I just look at marketing and I kind of feel like, uh, and I'll, I keep on going back to this, he's overperformed in every area of the game that I expect him to be, except shooting, which is supposed to be his number one strength. That's the only area where I felt like he's underperformed. So you got to believe he's going to be better there. Every every guy who joins the NBA usually has their worst shooting year as a rookie from three-point range. And if he gets that up to where I expect he can be, oh, my gosh, you know, it's going to be incredible. Well, let's let's talk Larry Markin then. Let's let's revisit a point that you made before, where you see him as a top ten talent eventually in this NBA, in the in the NBA landscape, and, and that's something that I definitely disagree with you about. And then that's not to say I don't like Larry Markin or think he's going to be great. But uh, look, this is the value you have to me, Fred. Uh, when I listen to your podcast, they're like a, a religious experience for me because you often say things that are completely opposite to what I what I think and it, it gives me it gives me life Fred I'll, I'll say that but I, wa- I want you to talk me through why you're so confident that Lowry Markkinen will a be a top 10 player in this league but two or b rather 
why will he be a better player than anyone in this upcoming draft? Talk me through that. I, very, it's very simple. Tell me what player at twenty that you've seen that has is so well rounded as a basketball player. If you look at Larry Markin, there's really nothing that he does. He's it, it, there's nothing on the offensive end that he can't do. I, I I think he can pass well. He's been a much better passer on the post than I expected. I think he has a great passing ability for a seven footer. He he can post, and I think he's very very strong in the post. He's a lot more physical than I expect him to be. He's an excellent rebounder, fantastic rebounder, much better than I expected, much better than what he showed in Arizona. And he's he can hit the three. There's nothing this kid can't do on the offensive end, and he's twenty. That's the biggest thing. Is like you got to believe that in three or four years he's going to get better. I mean, I I just don't I don't. See how, like, people, if you look at the history of 20-year-olds in the NBA, look where they're at when they're 20, and that means every great player, even if it's LeBron. Look at Bradley Beal when he was 20. Look at uh, Wall. Name every all-star. Jimmy Butler. Look where they're at when they're 20. Look where they're at when they're 25, 26. Almost, Almost without hesitation, every player has become significantly better. So if you have the work ethic, which I've heard he does, you got to expect him to become better than he is now. And that's, to me, why I feel like, oh, my gosh. Because I think already he's good. I think he's good already. You know, even on some nights, very good. And so I just don't understand how people can't see this. It's like, you know, it, think about if you want to beat Larry Markin, what do you got to do? You got to stop him from hitting the three. All right, well, you put a smaller guy on him to prevent him from hitting the three. Well, then he'll post you up. Then you gotta, you gotta, if you're gonna, you're gonna require a double team. He's gonna require a double team on most nights in the NBA by the time when he's 23 years old. That's all I need to know. The Bulls don't have those guys. They, they never have it, had enough of those guys. So, you know, that's the, the biggest thing about Lori Markin. And why I'm kind of confused, you know, and another image sticks in my head when he gets uh, set up against Steph Curry, one on one on Steph Curry, and what does he do? He blocks his shot off his head, makes him look like a like a third third grader. I do that with my son. I mean, <laughs> he's that good defensively that he's able to do that. I don't think he's a great defensive player by any means, but he has the versatility and the athleticism to play that kind of defense on Steph Curry. Like, what what am I missing here? Why are you so concerned? He's not going to be that. Well, firstly, I'm not going to question your your parenting skills by blocking your son's shot and, and make, probably making him feel terrible. So I'll, I'll just park that one. I'll ignore that. But what I would say is what we haven't seen from Larry Markton thus far this season in his rookie season, and it's not completely unexpected, is the fact that he hasn't really been a go-to guy in the sense that he's not really an isolation scorer. So in order to be a top 10 player, that's probably something you need to have. And and if I'm going to commit to saying Larry is going to be a top 10 player in two, three, four, five seasons down the line... I need to be seeing some sort of hint that this guy can score in the isolation. And 80% of his baskets this season or thereabouts has been assisted. So he is being a player that is, I guess, still highly dependent on those around him to, to feeding, the, feeding the ball and, and to, for uh, those sorts of players to get him baskets. And, and like we saw today, he was getting a lot of shots at the rim, a lot of dunks. And those, were, those plays were set up by guys like Chris Dunn. So I do wonder like, if Lowry Martin does have enough offensive ability to create baskets by himself that's not to say he's not going to be a good player or a great offensive weapon but 
I would need to see that Fred to to sort of align to your view that he's going to be a top ten player, and I haven't seen that just yet. He may develop that, but have you have you seen though that isolation skill that I haven't necessarily seen? Because to me, it's been absent. And he's a power forward. Like I keep on hearing his argument. How many times is Towns in his rookie year uh, get a, get a basket unassisted? He's a power forward. You don't dribble. You don't dribble the ball up and go one on one. As a power forward, you're usually relying on a point guard to either throw the ball to you in the post or to do a pick and roll and get you the ball. I mean, that's what power forwards do. But doesn't that limit marketing to some extent, the fact that he is a, ba- a big man and he's not a perim- perimeter player? No, it doesn't limit Towns. It doesn't limit Carmel Malone. I mean, the greatest power forwards in history, very few of them were just like isolation players. They're guys that are dependent on a point guard. Malone, I'm certain, uh, one of the greatest power forwards in history, had a large percentage of his baskets off an assist. I'm certain of it. It's very rare that they go in isolation. And yeah, that's my point. Is like if you're looking for an isolation score, that's usually a two or a three. LeBron brings it up, you know, it goes one on one and dunks it. That's not what he is, but that's not what Dirk really is. How many times does Dirk bring it up and just go one-on-one isolation? He became a great post player, and he, and he did a lot of things, hit the three. But it's rare. Even Dirk Nowitzki, he, that's what you want to see Markin in top out at. And it's he, you don't expect him just to Dirk bring the ball up. I, I don't understand that argument. I know you and, and Doug are making it like – Yeah, well, like we're not suggesting that Lowry needs to bring the ball up and take guys off the dribble. But what we are suggesting is when he does get posted up, we want to see some sort of signs that he can create in the post. And maybe that's unfair for us to have those expectations this early, given that he is 20 years old. But occasionally, yes. he has been matched, uh, mismatched with point guards in the post or a wing in the post, and he hasn't been able to really do anything. So, And again, he's 20. He may develop that, and I'm more than happy to suggest that he may develop that. But I guess we haven't seen it at this point. So that's what gives me confusion as to why... You're so high on him, I guess, at this point to say he's a top ten. Because I have seen it. Like, you don't recall his return, his his post, you know, uh, turnaround jumpers, and and you know some of the moves in the post that he's had that has been impressive. I agree, he needs to work on it. But at twenty, he's definitely one of the best I've ever seen uh, so far as an all round game at this young of an age. I think he's the most impressive player I've seen at this age, outside of Derrick Rose. I think he's better suited at the moment to be a face-up player. And when you're a face-up player, you're going to be a high-assist type guy who's going to be living predominantly off your jump shot at this moment now. Obviously, Lowry's shown more than that. He's been a terrific cutter. And the reason why he's dunking so much lately is because his off-ball game has been really sound. So there are more strings to his bow, but I don't know if he's necessarily there from a post perspective. And like I said, maybe that's me being unfair, but... Let's 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 finish with this, and and what I want to know from you is, what why do you think Larry's going to be better than anyone coming up in this draft? In in um, talking about Luka Doncic and DeAndre Ayton, let's let's maybe compare him to those guys. Why are you so confident that Larry's going to be better than any of those guys? Well, Luka Doncic, you know, everybody says he's going to be incredible. He's not shooting the light. He's not shooting lights out from three. Now I have serious questions. That I I mean. What position do you see Luka Doncic playing in the NBA? I would say a three. Yeah. I, I, I don't think he can guard anybody on the on – the, he can't guard NBA threes. I don't think he's quick enough or fast enough to guard NBA threes. So, 
to me, right away, he's going to be a major detriment on the defensive end. Um, I, from what I've seen, you know, and that's how, how much have you seen? seen? Let me ask that. Well, I mean, I've seen uh, probably a total of four games okay. and then all his highlight videos. So I could be wrong. I hope I'm wrong. I hope he's more athletic than he's shown. I hope you're wrong too. Your, you know, I, I, I don't think he's shooting. He's shooting like 32% from three. Like, why am I supposed to be impressed with his shooting? I heard somebody compare him to Larry Bird. I'm like, are you freaking nuts? He, you better be shooting 48% <laughs> from three in Europe if you want to be compared to Larry Bird. Not 32. Like, <laughs> I think he's, you know, he's very young. He's no doubt played very at a high level, played very well at a high level. But I don't, I think he's, you know, he's a different player than Larry. You know, Larry's obviously a power forward, even is good five minutes at center. Well, let's compare it to DeAndre uh, Ayton then, another big man. Do you, do you think it's not inconceivable that Ayton is going to be a better player than Larry Markin? Um, he's not going to be better at shooting the three. He's not going to be better as a he. I, I he definitely has the body and the skill level to be better. He's the one guy in the draft I would probably take ahead of marketing. You know, so I I I think he's going to be very good. But then I still have question marks about him. Like defensively, I keep on telling myself he should be better. I don't understand why he's not better. He's not blocking a ton of shots. You know, and, and so Eaton I, I, is the one guy I will say that I think I would still probably, if, if you're going to redraft and throw marketing into the draft, I would take Aiton probably ahead of marketing. But even that guy is not a slam dunk to me. I think he's got some questions defensively, like why isn't he better? And then also I, I want to see how his game is going to develop on the perimeter. If you look at it, those he would have been a great player in the late eighties and nineties. I think he's got that ability to be like a, you know, fantastic Patrick Ewing type of player. But the game has moved away from that. If you're a center, you better be able to hit a three. And you know, I, he may develop that as he gets older, and I think he probably will. Uh, you know, more of an outside perimeter game. But I'm not 100 percent sold on him either. But he's just such a physical specimen that, you know, you're kind of drafting on that. I mean, there's no doubt. You look at the guy, he's 267 footer. I mean, and he moves like that. That's pretty impressive. So he's the one guy I do feel like I would take out of market. Okay. So in, in the event, Fred, that Lowry isn't better than Doncic or Ayton, and maybe he's not even a top 10 player, let alone a top 20 player, how do you feel about the Bulls' outcome, or, uh, the, the, the scope of the team at that point, if that scenario plays out? Well, let me take a step back. To talk about Dantich with you because I got to ask you. Right. Why do you? What, what impresses you about Dantich? He's your number one, right? Yeah, I think he's Tell just his, his basketball IQ is just on a, another level, and it's just not something you can teach. We talk about players developing athleticism. We can talk about Denzel Valentine's career potentially being limited, or you know what he can do because he has physical limitations. But at the same time, I think you can make the same sort of argument about players that don't have basketball IQ. And something that Doncic has in spades is his ability to actually run an offense. He's the fact that he's not LeBron James smart, but he's he's next level. He's he's one of those types of players where he can come in instantly and just run an offense and can pretty much at a young age just dominate competition just using his brain. And that's exactly what he's been doing overseas in a much better league than the NCAA. So to me, I, I, I think he's going to be an absolute 
incredible talent. I don't necessarily think he's going to be a dominant scorer or anything like that, but that's not to say he's not going to be a dominant player. So I'm extremely high on Doncic. I heard the exact same thing about Ricky Rubio. Why is he better than Ricky Rubio? Well, he's bigger for starters. It helps that he's six foot eight. So that, that's definitely definitely one thing. And the fact that he's not a point guard and you can you can shift him off ball. And I think he has more of an ability to be a shooter than what Ricky Rubio ever projected to be. And comparing their numbers, Doncic's numbers dwarf Ricky Rubio's numbers in 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 you know, in Europe. So I would say he's a much better prospect than Ricky Rubio ever was. Fair fair argument. I agree. He's better because. He's allegedly a better shooter. Rubio has always had that major fault in his game. But, you know, I, I do recall hearing the same thing about Rubio. They can control the game. He's a great point guard. He can immediately step in and, and run a team. And, you know, I hope I'm wrong on him. I mean, you know, I, I just am not. I think he's going to have major issues on the defensive end. But um, we'll see. What was your question again about, like, the Bulls? So my, my question to you was, what, what's going to happen to the Bulls if you were wrong and Larry Markkinen isn't a top 10 talent if Doncic, Aiton, or anyone else, they're better than, than Markkinen and Larry projects to be a good player, a top 25, maybe player, top 30, whatever, but he doesn't reach that top 10 status that you're hoping or thinking he can. What, what, what are you thinking about the Bulls if that does, does occur? Are you down the line, are you looking back at this season as a bit of a wasted opportunity in the sense that if Markkinen doesn't become what you expect him to become... And the fact that they end up with the ninth pick instead of the third or second pick, does that? how much is that going to bother you? No, it won't. Because they're, they're still going to end up, if Markin is not a top 10 player, he'll still end up being somewhere between 20 and 50. And they'll still, that means they'll have three or four players that will max out between 20 and 50. And that team will probably be the Toronto Raptors. You know, so they'll be a good team. They won't ever be a serious challenge to winning the title. Um, but LeBron James is on his way out, and it's going to be wide open. Um, you know, maybe the 76ers are going to be the new Cavs. We'll see. There's a lot of time left between now and then. And, but I, I still think it's entirely possible that even if marketing doesn't end up top 10, they'll be a very competitive team for the next five, six years. And, and I still think the future is bright. It's just that they won't end up being a legit challenger for a title, assuming that uh, you know, Golden State has five or six more years. So basically what you're saying is, irrespective of what happens, you're going to be seeing red regardless, basically. Well, I, I still think the Bulls are on the way up. I, I, I don't see the odds of Dunn, Levine, and Markkinen all flaming out, I think, are next to zero. Two of those three guys are going to be all-stars. And, and it's entirely possible all three could be. So... And whoever they get in this draft is probably going to be a good player. You know, it, they might be a bum. Who knows? But, you know, you, you have too many good young, too much good young talent. And I think the ability to to build around them, since there are no bad contracts on the team, seriously bad. I mean, we got Felicio, but we don't have a Noah or, you know, Dang on the con- uh, contract of that level. Um, you know, there's too, there's too much opportunity to put – good pieces around these guys for the Bulls not to be good, competitive, uh, a good team in the East for years to come. You know, but the question is, are they going to win a title? And that's only going to happen if Markkinen becomes a top 10 player or Dunn or Levine, you know, hopefully they will be. I don't think they can, but um, I think the only one out of three is Markkinen. You know, but again, I look at the draft coming up and, you know, Bamba, there's all these guys that people are, Mo Bamba, 
is never going to be a top 10 player in the NBA. Pretty comfortable saying that. Um, you know, I think most of these guys that Trey Young, come on, give me a break. You know, he, he's, there's no way he's going to be a top 10 player in the NBA. So, I mean, there's most of these guys I hear people waxing poetic about. I don't think have the ability to be a top 10 player. I think Laurie Markkinen does. Look, fair enough. Uh, if you want to have that view, I'm more than happy for you to uh, to have that view. And, and I wouldn't be lying to say that I hope you're right in this case, Fred, because if Larry Markkinen is a top 10 player, then that ch- really does change the ceiling of this team. So I'm hoping you're right, but you've been wrong before, and quite often you were wrong, in my opinion. Very rarely. <laughs> <laughs> Very rarely. I know yeah, you're okay. correct. Right. But, uh, I think you're wrong with that statement just in general. But uh, look, it's been a pleasure having you on again. Uh, it's been a little while since we last spoke and I believe you were sick and that sort of uh, didn't... We, we tried catching up a few weeks ago, but you, you basically couldn't speak and I can still hear it in your voice that you're a, you're a bit gruff there around the edges. But uh, I appreciate you coming on nonetheless, Fred, particularly on the day that the Wolves happened to pick up win number 39. It was quite poetic to have you on the on the podcast at this point in time. Well, hopefully I'll jump on again in a month and it'll still be on number 39. (laughs) And I'll love love that conversation. So it was great talking to you, brother. You too, man. And uh, we'll we'll catch up down the road. Sounds good, my man. Talk to you soon. So that was Fred Pfeiffer, everybody. Be sure to follow Fred on Twitter at CBEFred. Make sure to catch up on his podcast, The Big Red Bus, that he hosts with Doug Tonus, as well as his own podcast, the Chicago Bullseye Podcast, if you're following me, you're probably already following Fred for his positive takes, but uh, if you're not, for whatever reason, follow Fred online. And as always, I'll be back again next week to talk all things Chicago Bulls. I'll catch you all then. Rose Davis, historian and co-host of the sports podcast, Burn It All Down. And now I'm hosting the new season of American Prodigy, all about Black girls in gymnastics. For the last 40 years, Black gymnasts have moved from the margins to the core of the sport and changed gymnastics along the way. Now they tell their stories. You'll meet trailblazers like Diane Durham, superstars like Jordan Childs, and everyone in between. Listen to American Prodigies on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts.